What's up, everybody? Happy Friday. This is Tanner from TamanBaseballFan.com. Uh, it is the uh, the Jones Family Tradition Jiu-Jitsu Pizza Mandalorian night. So we are all looking forward to uh, kicking off the weekend that way like we have been the last several nights or last several weeks. But uh, I'm actually waiting for Atticus uh, through his Jiu-Jitsu class here. So I figured now would be a great time to uh, do a podcast. One thing I've been thinking about is... Uh, the uh, uh, the actual pricing and the value of Hall of Fame baseball cards versus cards of those players who are not in the Hall of Fame. And uh, my views have changed drastically over the past 30 years on this, of course, because guess what? 30 years ago, I was nine. If uh, my views haven't changed on things since I was nine, then I guess I'd be in trouble. <laughs> but uh, anyways, I do remember... Uh, sitting somewhere uh, having an 89 Upper Deck Griffey uh, when I was younger. I'm not really sure uh, why because that's kind of a that's a high dollar card for me back then. I guess I maybe I was 11 or something at the point at that point. I don't know. But uh, I do remember uh, the Mariners uh, playing the A's. And so I was thinking, huh, I've got this valuable card here. And I want the A's to win because they're my team, but I also want the Ken Griffey Jr. baseball card to go up in value too. So and I was trying to justify it in my mind, like how do I want this game to play out? The A's obviously have to win, but what if we could just like give Griffey a pass and let him hit a home run in the game they're playing tonight? And uh, you know that that'll be fine. So maybe I won't grimace. Uh, if he comes up to bat and he does well, as long as the A's win, <laughs> it'd be fine. And uh, I feel, if I remember correctly, I think I felt kind of like a traitor <laughs> when I was uh, thinking that way. But uh, uh, you know, back then, it's it, as a kid, this is really when I started learning the value of of items, like being able to buy and sell, and, and understanding the worth of something. And uh, you know, remember just how I would live and die by those up and down arrows in Beckett Monthly Magazine. And uh, it was fun because I remember when those uh, when those uh, uh, price guides would come out and we would just run to those magazines, right, and, and flip to the page where our best cards were to see what happened, if the, if the card was going up in price or if it was going down or, or more accurately if it had gone up or down. Uh, and being like, like really disappointed that perhaps, uh, you know, I, I don't know, in 1984 tops, Cal Ripken Jr. went down from the, the month before, being really excited that the 89 Upper Deck Griffey went up. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of how we all uh, uh, were back then. I mean, and gosh, forget about it. If there's a car that was hot that was... Uh, number one on the hot list in Beckett and had gone up in value for several months in a row. That was a big deal. And uh, I told this story before, not too long ago, within the past week or two, I think. But my uh, my hobby hero, Mike, the owner of the bullpen, which was my favorite baseball card shop in Fresno, California. And I think it's still going strong nowadays also, even though they're doing more... Magic the Gathering Pokemon stuff, I think. But um, 
man, I I remember him uh, uh, pulling a Frank Thomas baseball card out of a pack of 1990 Leaf. Like just the first hit, bam, there it was. And he puts it in a sleeve or a case or something and puts it inside his display case and tells all of us uh, uh, kids and adults that were in his shop saying, this is a card that I'd recommend to get now. And I think it was like $4 or something at that point. He said, I guarantee you over the uh, next like 12 months or so, it's going to continuously increase in value every single month, month after month. And uh, sure enough, he was right. You go, oh my gosh, this guy's like a witch or something, like a magician. How did he know that? <laughs> a fortune teller, perhaps. Uh, sure enough, I mean, that card climbed up to be $60 or something uh, inside of a year or something like that. And I just keep thinking, man, why didn't I just believe him? It's four bucks. But then again, $4 back then was probably like 4000 to me now, or 400 maybe maybe more accurately 40 I don't know <laughs> but uh, anyways it was it was something that I wanted to be very careful with my with my money I didn't really know much about Frank Thomas back then and nobody really did early on but anyway so uh, you know certainly there are some cards of Hall of Famers that people uh, even those that are coming back into the hobby they will assume that will do really well because they're in the Hall of Fame and Conversely, they'll think that the cheaters, the steroid users that they know of, uh, will not have any value whatsoever. So what this means is those that have value are going to be Ozzie Smith, Cal Ripken Jr., Jim Tomey, uh, Frank Thomas, uh, you know, Harold Baines now, <laughs> you know, and those who will not have uh, value Jose Canseco, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, even the guys that didn't have uh, full careers because of injuries or otherwise uh, that were still fan favorites like Don Mattingly or Bo Jackson. So one thing that we find in today's marketplace of baseball cards is that uh, that while, yes, it does affect value for uh, people being in the Hall of Fame, uh, and I'll give you an example. We're talking about Harold Baines, for for instance. Um, I think the, the the entire collecting community was thrown for a loop for that for that one. We nobody really expected him to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. But guess what? His uh, his PSA uh, gray rookie cards from 1981 top skyrocketed. Um, and there's a reason for that. I think there's a lot of people that are. They're collectors uh, of the PSA registry, so they try to uh, have a comp- as complete pot of a possible of collection of Hall of Fame baseball players. They're PSA graded, so I get it. Um, I understand that completely, hundred um, percent. But uh, aside from that, like you know, the raw cards and everything, a lot of those are not really going to be worth a whole lot unless uh, you introduce the prospect of uh, of grading those cards yourself. Um, so, you know, but to take a look on the other, on the other side of the coin where people think that hall of fame players is where it's at, it's not necessarily true. And I, I spoke about this again, a little bit, uh, a week or two also, um, you think about what happened with, uh, Andre Scalaraga and Omar Vizquel, these two guys, great players, um, but, uh, more fan favorites than anything. They weren't big time household names. And uh, uh, but because there were a couple 
uh, collectors, they they sent those the prices of the one of ones for about a good year or two uh, up into the heavens. Like it was just they skyrocketed in price so much to the point that the card companies took notice and started making more cards of them and putting them as features on the sales list, uh, sales list and uh, and the uh, uh, marketing material, which I found fascinating. That you know how how closely intertwined the uh, the baseball card companies were with uh, being in tune to what the collectors wanted. And because these prices were jaw-dropping, and, and I, I went over this, like I said, a week or two ago, how like one Viscel, I think, went for like well over $10,000, and it was just a, a regular one-of-one one card with a, with a signature. Um, and uh, like a 2000 15 or 16 tier one or five star or something like that. Uh, but, uh, because that happened, two types of people took notice. Number one, the, uh, the sellers did. So they started putting up all kinds of different cards that they had, uh, of Viscal and Galarraga for these other couple collectors to, uh, to scoop up. Uh, and also the buyers. So whenever these other Omar Vizquel and Andres Galarraga cards would come up for sale, the, there would there's more attention that was garnered from other buyers to pick them up, thus increasing the value of them all altogether. Um, probably for a couple of reasons. Number one, because they wanted to in turn become sellers and, and make profit. But number two, also when you start seeing cards that are selling for more. You start placing a, uh, a greater value in your in your mind on those as well, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, interesting how that works, uh, but that's what happened with Galarraga and Vizquel. And uh, so again, you're not going to have those guys uh, um, touch any kind of uh, top list of you know most important players in baseball history or anything at all. All it took were a few buyers that really connected with them in their childhood. And that's kind of what happened with a lot of these steroid guys. Um, you know, you think about uh, Tony Gwynn, for instance, phenomenal player. Uh, just, I mean, and you look at his stats, he, they're just incredible. I, I, he didn't strike out often at all. He was just an amazing, amazing player. The thing is, is, is he didn't really have a whole lot of wow factor. Um, now, of course, you know, of course, there's going to be a lot of collectors out there for Tony Gwynn, you know, and there should be, rightfully so. But when you look at statistics and you compare him with, say, like a Kinseiko or a Bo Jackson uh, or even like a Will Clark or something, you'd think, well, why on earth would anybody come close to collecting those guys compared to Tony Gwynn when you look at the stats? Um and the thing is, when it comes to especially guys like Canseco and, and uh, Bo Jackson, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, uh, all those guys, um, is that there are a large number of people out there that were fans back uh, for baseball in the 80s and 90s. And they don't remember a whole lot of these players compiling hits, singles and doubles, uh, not striking out, being really smart at the plate, taking walks. And being clean, you know, just clean players, uh, you know, they don't really invoke a whole lot of uh, uh, fantasy or dreams in your in your mind. Like 
uh, you know, the violent swing that Canseco had or uh, when Bo Jackson would break his bat over his knee or something. That's what fans and collectors from the 80s and 90s remember as kids and teens. They remember those eye-popping moments when, uh, you know, McGuire, for instance, hits 49 home runs his rookie year. Uh, when McGuire and Sosa were going through the uh, the home run race, uh, you know Barry Bonds and all of his amazing feats that he had. Uh, I mean, that's those are the things that that collectors remember. And so now that the collectors are older and have money, they start buying those because they have a much uh, more intense uh, connected feeling to some of these players that were like Bo Jackson uh, and, and even, you know, some players, of course, uh, kind of transcend that as well and, and, and were on both sides. They were Hall of Famers and had that feeling. Like, for instance, Ken Griffey Jr., he had the it factor. But, uh, but for purposes of this podcast and discussion, we're going to talk mainly about those guys like Bo Jackson, Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, uh, Roger Clemens, a lot of these guys – power players you know but they just didn't have uh well a couple of them did have hall of fame numbers but they did uh they are tainted of course um because of steroid usage i personally think at some point i think that they might get in but then again my thoughts are why the heck isn't pete rosen yet you know i mean if they're gonna not let pete rosen yet then maybe they won't let these other guys in uh out of the guys like canseco Bo, Will Clark, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire. I really only think about half of them are, are worthy from a statistic perspective uh, of going in, being Roger Clemens, Mark McGuire, and Barry Bonds. Uh, but then again, I think, if I remember correctly, I think Canseco had a higher war than Harold Baines, and Harold Baines is in. So I don't know. I don't know how to do how to how to, how to really kind of. Uh, judge anymore who should or should not go into the Hall of Fame. I find it kind of peculiar some of the guys that they've let in over the past few years. But um, anyway, so it's it's really interesting to think about. But uh, it, you know, going back to my original thought, these uh, these things, even like Albert Bell, for instance, uh, he's got some big time collectors there too because like they remember, uh, you know, the Indians fans of the of the mid '90s. They remember all of the chains and. And him running into that second baseman, whoever it was, and just knocking him down, just cleaning his clock. And, and it's little little plays like that that can get replicated in somebody's mind. And not just mine, but like these little video clips on Facebook all over the place, uh, social media, YouTube. Uh, that kind of keeps it fresh on people's minds. When Bo Jackson ran up the wall, for example, or uh, I don't even know if there's that many Kevin Mitchell uh uh, fans or anything like that, but uh, you know, I remember Mitchell uh, catching a ball in left field uh, with his bare hand. Collectors really remember this sort of thing, and in many ways, this this kind of uh, is more impactful for collectors when it means opening up their wallets than it is merely just for somebody to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, which is why you'll have some of these cards like Albert Bell, for instance, a 96 select certified mirror gold card of his, I think sold at auction for like $2,500 or more. Obviously it's a, it's a 
you know, it, it's an amazing, amazing set and everybody's after that set. But can you imagine like over $2,500 for an Albert Bell? Well, there's a reason for that. You know, it's not, you know, my, my jaw droppingness of uh, that happening is, is uh, not to say that Bell wasn't an amazing player because he, you know, certainly was. Uh, but when you think about it from like, you know, well, wait a second, why are these cards so expensive? You know, he, he's not by anybody's metric going to go into the hall of fame ever, ever, ever. So like what's going on? Uh, and you know, that's why it's the people that are emotionally attached to him and what he did, his antics on and off the field, uh, his dynamic, uh, personality, uh, all of that, like took a hold of, various collectors and that's why you know so that's why when you have a rare card of albert bell out there it can go for good money uh same thing with don mattingly not a hall of famer uh but a rare card could go uh for a lot of money will clark also not a hall of famer uh but there's some serious serious buyers and uh collectors of will clark like it's nuts when you i couldn't imagine uh you know, sitting back in the eighties and nineties, watching like Will Clark, for instance, play, and he obviously was was uh, a fan favorite. Like people loved that guy, um, but he wasn't mashing home runs. Like he wasn't on anywhere, you know, on the on the trajectory of hitting five hundred home runs or anything like that. Uh, you know, I couldn't imagine thinking that some of his rare cards would rival prices of uh, of various key vintage cards. You know, but here we are, and it happens. Um, I feel like a 98 Crusade Red of his a few years ago sold for like a couple grand or something. I mean, so like I said, there's serious, uh, serious Clark uh, collectors out there. And by the way, uh, if I remember correctly, the last time that I heard, he actually signs through the mail. I, I've had a few him sign one or two things through the mail. Uh, funny little story. I think uh, somebody, if I if I remember this correctly somebody was basically sending him things to sign through the mail all the time. And, and Clark actually sent a, a letter back to him saying, you know, look, you're not fooling me. Uh, I know that you're trying to uh, get me to sign all kinds of stuff. I know who you are. Uh, so let's slow down a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, so if you want to check out, uh, try, try, try to get will clark's autograph um look at sportscardforum.com i think i think they've got a, a through the mail autograph database of addresses uh if you if you want to pay go to startiger.com i think it's like 20 bucks a year um which is what i've seen to be the best out there i've done a lot of stuff not just for baseball players but actors actresses other sports as well so um but anyway, I, you know, it, it is interesting. It's an interesting phenomenon to, to sit back and think that, okay, well, yeah, the actual cumulative career of some of these players uh, might have little to do with the actual price uh, or the actual values of their cards. Now, I will say this. Um, one thing that, uh, that we know for sure uh, if you have a card that's fairly uh, common, a Cal Ripken is going to outsell uh, like a Don Mattingly or something like that, uh, or a Will Clark. I think Will Clark's probably a better um, 
better match for this for this but uh but when it comes to like the the super rare stuff that's where things can get really interesting because ultimately all it takes is let's say you have a one thousand or two thousand dollar card all it takes is really two people to bid up each other and if you have uh if you have like let's say cal ripken jr having uh uh hundred thousand fans out there hundred thousand collectors but only two of them are willing to spend a thousand dollars on one of his cards uh and let's say will clark has instead of a hundred thousand fans let's say he only has a hundred fans but two of those guys are willing to spend two grand on one of his cards uh guess what he's gonna in the in the sales history the sales data of some of these rare cards will clark's gonna win and that's not to say that uh uh, 96 Lux certified mirror gold will Clark will pass a Ripken. I, I'm not saying that. I don't know if that's true. It might be. I just don't know. Uh, but what I am saying though is is things can get a little wacky for the rarer cards, especially when it comes to these uh, fan favorite type of players that that will never see the the Hall of Fame. Um, pretty interesting thing to think about for sure. And. Uh, as time goes by, we will actually see more players pop up that we would have never thought in a million years would have been a big deal for collectors. Um, one of the fun ones in the Facebook group that uh, that I'm a part of, 1990s to 2004 insert uh, baseball card group, I think is what it's called. Uh, uh, there's been kind of a little running joke there over the past week or so that uh, Chipper Jones has been... Uh, has been posted so many times <laughs> over the past week, but uh, uh, you know, sure enough, yeah, there there are some Chipper Jones collectors. There's some big time Chipper Jones collectors out there. Same with Mo Vaughn, I think. Uh, and, and you know, I I don't know. It's it's fun to see. Uh, it's fun to see some of these guys that may not be like super duper stars getting some such like attention in the hobby and such love from the hobby uh i like seeing that sort of thing and there's a reason that the card companies are, are creating so many one of ones and everything because there's a whole lot of collectors out there now guys like i don't want to say that we're back in in the heyday of collecting from the 80s and 90s and and certainly that's the that's the standard that everybody seems to measure uh how well the hobby's doing is uh well, how is this compared to these nights? But that was really kind of an, an anomaly. Uh, but nowadays, guys, like collecting is is pretty big time. It's it's uh, and if it's not uh, if it's not big time, it's getting there pretty quickly. Um, they're just creating some beautiful, amazing cards, and uh, and it's fun. It's like it's fun looking at some of these cards that they're selling now or that they're creating nowadays. Of like Dennis Eckersley, for instance, I loved that guy growing up, man. Like. I just enjoy the heck out of them. I know the same thing goes for a lot of people for Oral Hershiser. And so when you start getting into these other players, uh, at some point, if it's not this way already, maybe it is already, and I just haven't been paying attention, but you might have like an Oral Hershiser one of one go for over $1,000 or something like that at some point. It's, all it takes is just a few people uh, to really get hot into collecting cards and start justifying in their brains, huh, well, man, this one-of-one one jumbo patch autograph of, say, Oral Hershiser is like, 
is crazy because look, the patch has some dirt uh, from game usage. And man, I remember when he uh, did those uh, 59 in uh, counting uh, uh, shutout innings. Like, how amazing was that to, to remember that and have that as part of my childhood and to be able to possibly get this card that has a massive uh, patch uh, embedded inside of it and be the only person that owns this. When you start getting people uh, to think like this and to, uh, to justify in their heads, maybe I should get, maybe I should be willing to spend a little more than, than I'm comfortable with. Well, eventually that's going to escalate to a point where people are going to take notice and the prices are going to go really high for any player, really. I don't mean to keep, uh, uh, you know, picking on Oral Hershiser, but you think about even uh, Dave Stewart or, or even Kevin Mitchell or Bobby Bonilla. Uh, you know, obviously when players go into obscurity, that's... Uh, that's when things start going down in price uh, that people don't really have their attention on. But Bobby Bonilla, he might be a good candidate for for looking at perhaps uh, his prices going up higher. I don't even know if he, like how many cards they have they're making of him, but uh, you know, obviously he's he's relevant around uh, July or so uh, of every year because of his uh, his Bobby Bonilla Day. If you don't remember, or if you don't know what Bobby Bonilla Day is, uh, Google it. But um, what happened was uh, uh, Bobby Bonilla ended up signing with the Mets. And from what I recall, I think it was like a $17 million contract. And uh, instead of taking the money as a lump sum or something like that, they uh, he said, no, we're going to defer this and we're going to uh, get like a million dollars or something crazy like that for like decades. <laughs> so so this guy, Bobby Bonilla, has been playing for years and, and uh, every year... Uh, on quote unquote Bobby Bonilla day, he's he's uh, able to go walk into the uh, uh, New York Mets uh, office and and pick up a check that's like a million dollars or so every single year, and he'll be able to do that to like 2035, I think, or something. It's it's pretty nutty. Um, but anyways, because of that, Bonilla is going to stay relevant. His name's going to keep popping up, and so when people keep coming to the hobby, they're going to go, "Ah, oh, I remember Bobby Bonilla. I remember the Killer Bees and his time with the Pirates and stuff." And uh, that's what all it takes—like these little sparks that uh, that people hear of, or these little tiny YouTube video clips or social media clips uh, that that show how dominant for a time that like these certain players were, or these dynamic plays that they did, even if it's like a brawl in baseball that, that happened, um, those things can affect price. It's, it's interesting how it works. It's a very fluid and dynamic hobby and, and market when it comes to cards. Um, I think that the card companies are adapting pretty well. Uh, as we've shown, uh, seen with uh, the Viscals and Galarragas, they they know it's up. They're, they're jumping on, on the bandwagon when, when necessary. Um, but anyway, so it'll be interesting to see over the next like five or 10 years, perhaps what baseball players are going to be big, uh, that are already retired, uh, but we'll have a couple collectors or super collectors kind of, uh, uh, going at it tooth and nail with each other to, uh, to raise the prices like crazy. So, um, if you all have any thoughts on this, I'd love to hear it. Um, let me know what you think and feel free to, uh, uh, like and subscribe and share this podcast. And uh, thanks again for listening, everybody. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend.